lot of prayer. And living with four girls, I don't know what it's like. I never had a brother. I had an older sister. So growing up, it was a sister and a mom. And then even when my dad was gone, it was just just us. So then, you know, having kids, it was all the time, we're going to have a boy, we're going to have a boy. People still ask, you know, this. what happens when you keep trying for a boy is you keep getting girls is what happens. So, uh, you know, sharing bathrooms, hair everywhere. The good news is I don't know how to do hair and I'm not a very good cook. So I don't have to worry about that. And uh, I, I, I wanted, if I would have planned it my way, I would have had a boy to begin with. And that way, you know, I wouldn't be mowing the yard or anything. But I don't mow the yard anyway. <laughs> and uh, this way, I probably won't have to clean a bathroom for how old is, uh, another 14 years. That's, that's the way I'm looking at it. I don't know if that's going to work real well, right? They're like, yeah, one of them's got her arms cl- crossed, like, you better watch it, bub. <laughs> you better watch it. I'm trying. I'm trying. I could I could be mean, but I don't think I will be. I do. I love every single one of them. And that God is teaching me a lot through them. At this point, I don't know what I would do if I had a boy. I, I don't know how to raise a boy. I've just got girls. But anyway, if you turn your Bibles to 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings, You ever lost something that you really wish you hadn't lost? Your memory? Yeah, that might be one. <laughs> uh, forgotten something you wish you hadn't forgotten? There are a few things in life that when we forget them, we panic. Um, you lose your keys to your car. That's a panic situation, uh, especially if you're not at home. Um, Maybe you lose your wallet. That's a big one. You think, oh man, what do I have in there? How much money do I have? I probably don't have much, but do I have a credit card? Is my bank card in there? And you ever notice they say, on the back of the card it says, if lost, call this number. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not memorizing this number, right? I'm not memorizing it. So I doubt the person that finds is going to call that number. But uh, you lose your wallet. You lose your phone. That's kind of a scary one. Um, I don't know why. That's one of those things for me. I don't want to lose my phone for anything. So when I do, when I misplace it, I'm the kind of person I like to put things in only a few places. Uh, You know how that is. You just put it in one or two places. Well, then if it's not in those one or two places, then there's a huge panic because it could be anywhere at that point. And, And the problem with being a parent, and if you've been a parent, you understand this, you start blaming it on your children. And, and the moment you blame it on your children, you can just about guarantee it wasn't their fault. You know, it was your fault, and so you're going to get on somebody, and then you're going to turn the corner, and, oh yeah, I remember putting it there. So, uh, we, we can lose our phones. It, you may lose track, or you may forget where you parked your car. Hopefully not in this parking lot. Uh, but if you do, and you know where your phone is, you can pick up your phone and act like you're on the phone. And I've learned that when you do that, you can just wander anywhere and people think, oh, he's just on the phone. And then you can look for your car while you're faking the phone call. Um, the older you get, I don't think I've had this, I don't think I've had this happen yet, but you walk into a room and you forget why you went in there. <laughs> that happens a lot. Hopefully you walk into this room and that's not, you don't forget why you're here. Uh, that could happen, I guess. Maybe you forget um, birthdays or anniversaries. That's a tough one, isn't it? I don't forget. I think that I'm going to be clutch. 
that I'm going to come up with a great gift. That's what that's my problem. I think, oh, I will come up with a great gift. And so I wait and I wait because I don't I don't want to buy a chintzy gift, right? Nobody wants a bad gift. And so I keep thinking, oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then what happens is it's too soon for Amazon to get me a gift. And then it's panic mode because I've got to go find one. And, uh, and I'm not good at that. I just wonder. My wife says I am. She, I'm better at buying cards than gifts probably. But you don't want to forget birthdays or anniversaries. The passage that we're going to look at tonight, something was forgotten, lost, that it's hard to believe that anyone could lose such a treasure. In 2 Kings chapter 22, we'll start reading in verse number 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. That's pretty young. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. I don't tell you what to do with your Bible, but sometimes it's a good idea to do this. Uh, I have it in mind. I underline, when it's speaking about a king, I underline whether they did good or evil in the sight of the Lord. That'll help you get some context for what they're talking about. And so this is underlined that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Sad to say, for many of the kings, that was a rarity, that they did not do what was right. And it says, And he walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door hath gathered of the people. And let them deliver it to the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house, uh, to carpenters and to builders and masons, to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit, there was no reckoning of them, made with them of the money which was delivered in their hand, because they dealt faithfully. So, the condition was this. Josiah was young, but in his 18th year of reigning, about 26 years old, he sends the scribe and the high priest go into the temple, take the money that people have been putting in a box as they come in the door, and, and add it all up and then distribute it to those that can repair the house. Because since there has not been good kings, the, the leadership spiritually has been very poor. So there are a few people that have been coming to the temple to worship God, but not very many. And it has not been upkept very well. So we need to fix the things uh, where it is broken down and where it needs to be cleaned out, those kind of things. And so they, it didn't, they didn't even keep track of where the money was all going because the people that were using the money were being faithful with the money. Now, verse 8. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Did you catch that? I found the book of the Lord. This is the high priest telling the scribe, uh, uh, one who would maybe copy the Word of God out so you would have another copy, or one to make sure of those things. The high priest is saying, I found the book of the Lord. We didn't know where it was, or maybe we didn't even know that it existed, that we had a copy. Can you believe that? 
that, that's, that's like a pastor telling an assistant pastor, hey, I just found a Bible in this, in this church. Did you know we had one? That's unbelievable. Let's, let's take that to a, another level. We're talking about the people of Israel, God's chosen people. The book of the law, which would have been the first five books of the Bible, would have told them who they were. That, that these were a people that God brought from Abraham. That he said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And oh, by the way, Abraham was 90 years old. It was going to be a miracle for him to even have children. And, and this was a child that God asked him to well, to test his faith, to sacrifice. And although he did not sacrifice him, this was a special relationship that God was saying, I am making a nation out of you. And how God brought them out of Egypt and their identity is wrapped up in the Bible, in the book of the law. It tells them through Leviticus and Numbers how God wants them to live how he wants them to be so that they can best reflect the glory of God. And they lose the book. They forget about it. How can you lose something so precious? How can you forget that? Some treasures are, are lost. We talked about keys, phones, wallet, etc. But there are some great treasures of this world that have been lost there is a statue of Buddha that is 10 feet tall and 12 feet wide, which I think is pretty humorous, that it's wider than it is tall. 12 feet wide, 10 feet tall. But it also weighs five and a half tons. That's 11,000 pounds. That's kind of funny too. Why would it weigh that much? It weighs that much because it was made of solid gold. Best we know, it was... Uh, it was made, it was put together, carved, I don't know, in uh, the 1300s. So long, long time ago. Well, for about 14 or four, 400 years, it was in a temple. And then, and that was in Thailand. Now, in the 1700s, Thailand was going to be overtaken by the Burmese. And so the Burmese came in, but before they did, the king of Thailand said, hey, we need to hide our treasures, of which this was was one of them. A solid gold statue of Buddha would be a treasure. And so they said, we're going to put it somewhere. And so they found this temple that was just off the beaten path. It didn't look like anything special. And they hid it in there and then they covered it in plaster. So it still looked like a statue of Buddha. It was just covered in plaster. Well, they were conquered by the Burmese. And a year later, they, they, re re they took back over their kingdom. But they didn't take that thing out of that temple and they didn't uncover the plaster. And it was forgotten. After many years, uh, somebody said, we need to move it out of this temple. It's kind of in the way. So they, they actually put it in a shed. And then years and years later, the shed started to fall apart. And so some monks said, we've got to deal with this. So they started to move it. And it was so heavy that they dropped it off the piece of equipment that they were using to move it. So the next day, a monk is out there investigating, trying to figure out how are we going to get this thing where it needs to go. And he notices a crack in the plaster. And he looks and he sees that there was gold underneath there. And this was in the 1950s. So for almost 300 years, a solid gold statue that weighed 11,000 pounds was lost. In today's dollars, it would be worth $300 million in gold. And it was lost. How do you lose something like that, right? I mean, it's a good thing the monk was honest. 
because he could have been like, hey, you know, one leg of Buddha could, could, <laughs> it could really get me going a long way. I might find some peace with that. Um, but sometimes valuable things are forgotten. Now, how was it forgotten? I think to, to ask that question, we say it wasn't forgotten by Josiah. Josiah is basically the one that found it. So we got to go backwards. So let's look at 2 Kings 21 and verse 19. We're going to look at Josiah's dad. Ammon was 20 and 2 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 2 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Meshulamith, the daughter of Haruz of Jotba. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the ways that his father walked in and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. And he forsook the law of God. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and walked not in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and slew the king in his own house. So Ammon did not serve God. He rejected God as well. But he only reigned for two years, which is why Josiah was so young when he reigned, because his father died young. So it says that he did as Manasseh did. So let's go back and look at Manasseh at the beginning of chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove, as did Ahab king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and serve them. Now, if you continue on through this, this chapter, you'll see all the wicked things that Hezekiah did. You can also go to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Now, you say, why would you do that? Well, the Chronicles are also about the kings. Many times they say the same things, but sometimes they add in a detail that you didn't get in the kings. So, what I have done is I have written by chapter 22, 2 Chronicles 34. And that tells me about Josiah. And in chapter 21, I can say, 2 Chronicles 33, that tells me about Manasseh. Now, Manasseh, it says he reigned for 55 years. Can you imagine that? Some people could live their entire lives with the same ruler. You know, in America, every four to eight years, we, we have a different president all the time. But can you imagine 55 years? I mean, that goes back to before Carter. And I don't even know who that was because I wasn't alive. Okay, some of you know because you were alive, all right. But 55 years means any president. I don't even. Who would that be? Do you know who that be? 55 years. See, it's hard. It was Ford. Now he would probably he'd be dead because he's he would be really old. But the point is that's a long time. Double down on that. Not every president is a good president. Not every king is a good king. What did you get a bad one, and now you've got him for 55 years? Well, that's what happened. Manasseh was king for 55 years, and he was wicked. In fact, if, if you study his life, it's either here or in the Chronicles, it says that he was so wicked that he led the people of Israel to do worse than the Canaanites that God had them drive out. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Because I don't think, I think if you made a list of all the sins that you could possibly think of, that was who the Canaanites were. And he led them. One of God's leaders led them 
to be more wicked than those people. And God would send messengers. God would send prophets. And he would outright reject what they had to say. He would say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. But I found it interesting, in verse number 3, he built up again the high places which his father Hezekiah had torn down. So that takes us to Hezekiah. Because obviously Manasseh is rejecting it. But how did Manasseh get to where he was? Hezekiah was a guy that at 39 years old had a sickness. And in that sickness, he was laying in his bed and God sent Isaiah with a message. And he goes to, he goes to Hezekiah and he says, look, God sent me a message and here's the message. You are sick to your death. You're not going to recover from this. That's not a good message from God. And so uh, Isaiah leaves. Hezekiah rolls over and he faces the wall while he's laying on his bed and he begins to cry out to the Lord. And he says, Lord, you know how I've tried to live before you. You know that I've tried to do the best that I can to serve you. And he did many great things. And he said, God, would you spare my life? So Isaiah is not even out of the palace. And God says, I want you to go back. I have another message for you. He goes back and he gives the message to Hezekiah. And he says, God has heard your prayer. And because God has heard your prayer, you aren't going to die because of this. In fact, God is going to extend your life 15 years. So God was gracious enough to answer the prayer, but also to tell him 15 more years. Well, that's good news. I mean, I mean, you at least know how long you're going to live. I mean, none of us know if we're going to live 15 years, 15 months, or 15 days, or 15 minutes. We don't. You would think that a man who had lived a godly life, that God gave him extra time, would say, God, because you gave me this time, I'm going to make sure it counts for you. But we don't see that. In fact, what we see is the Babylonians, they come and they say, hey, look, we heard that you got better. And so King Hezekiah, we have a gift for you because you got better. Now, I wouldn't have trusted him right there because nobody's ever given me a gift because I got better from a sickness. Right? And I don't, I don't, maybe that happens to you. It's never happened to me. So he takes them around the kingdom and he shows them everything. He goes in the palace and he shows them the treasury. He shows them the armory. He shows them all the, the, the vessels in the temple. Isaiah, the prophet, comes to him and he says, Hezekiah, did you meet these people? He said, yeah. He said, how much did you show them? He says, I showed them everything. And I can see it. I don't know if it happened, but I can see it. I can see Isaiah just shaking his head. And he's thinking, you dummy. What if, these are not our friends. And you showed them the kingdom. Because you have done this, they're going to come back and they're going to take your children captive, your grandchildren, they're going to take them captive. And everything that you showed them, they're going to take back to Babylon. By the way, the book of Daniel is the fulfillment of that prophecy. It says very specifically of the things that were taken. Hezekiah's response was, well, as long as it's not in my lifetime, I guess that's okay. No, it's not okay. You disobeyed God. You should have repented. You should have said, look, if God changed his mind because I prayed, well, then I'm going to pray again and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did this. Is there any way that we can fix this? Is there any way where we can do something different? Now, again, how many years was he given? 15 years. Go to verse 1 of chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Who is his father? Hezekiah. That means that Manasseh 
was born in that bonus 15 years that Hezekiah was given. Hezekiah, did you raise your son to live for God? Hezekiah, it looks as though you spent those last 15 years living for yourself because you weren't living for God and you didn't raise your son to live for God because as soon as he became king at 12 years old and he lives wickedly. So what do we find? What do we find? That Hezekiah's indifference led to Manasseh's disobedience. Hezekiah's lack of interest in the things of God, lack of interest in the Word of God, led to Manasseh being disobedient. And Manasseh's disobedience led to Josiah's ignorance. Here's the application. When we are indifferent towards the things of the Word of God, we will lead generations to be disobedient and ignorant of God's Word. We have perfect example. We live in a country that was built based upon the principles of God's Word. If you go to Washington, D.C., and you look at any of the monuments, you you go to, to the museums, the Word of God is everywhere. In fact, they say, you can't climb up the Washington Monument, but they say, like I think every time you turn a corner, there's another Scripture verse on your way up to the top. That it's everywhere. That our country has been built on the principles found in God's Word. The quotes are, are replete, they're everywhere, of our founding fathers quoting the Bible, understanding that it is God that needs to protect us. They, they identified Him in the Declaration of Independence, in the, in, the, uh, in the Declaration of Independence, saying that we have certain rights that are inalienable, given to us by our Creator. And yet we live in a country that is largely ignorant of God and His Word. It's not hard. Even I live in what is called one of the parts of the Bible Belt in North Carolina. There are churches everywhere. It's not hard to find somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is. All they know is His name to use as a curse. That's all they know. And that's all over the country. People don't know who God is. Well, how does that happen? When many of the people that came to this country came for religious freedom, it's because some have been indifferent towards the things of the Word of God. And maybe you haven't forgotten the Word of God. and Maybe you come from a situation where you didn't know the Word of God because somewhere someone in your family was indifferent to it. Somewhere someone in your family was disobedient. Let's reverse that. Let's reverse that process. And let's place a priority on the Word of God. Let's bring it back to the forefront. Let's not put it in a place where we we put it there and maybe somebody will find it later. But let's keep it in our lives as a high priority so that people around us know the Word of God is special in their lives. They use this to guide their lives. They use this to comfort. The song that was sung just before I got up here. There is so much Scripture involved in that verse that I go to Jesus, my friend, on whom I can depend. How do you know that? From the Word of God. That Jesus is King. He controls everything. He is with me each night and each day. How do I know that? From the Word of God. And those things give me the comfort, as that song says, how can I fear? I don't have to live my life in fear. I don't have to live my life in worry. I don't have to because I have the Word of God. How can I know that I have a future in heaven? 
Well, from the Word of God. Outside of the Word of God, I don't know those things. But the book was forgotten. Interestingly, you remember it was Hilkiah the high priest that found it because Hilkiah was given the command to go clean the temple, right? And Shaphan the scribe. Hilkiah is the father of Jeremiah the prophet. And if you go to the book of Jeremiah, you'll see that right at the beginning that he was the son of Hilkiah. Jeremiah preached during this time. In the first message that he preached, you can read about it in Jeremiah chapter 2, one of the verses that he quotes is kind of an interesting verse. He says, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? So in those days, a woman did not want to be single. I mean, that was, that was the worst thing in the world. She wanted to be married and have a children. So a maid would maybe wear things special to attract a young man. And definitely a bride is going to have some special attire. I mean, that's, she's the most important person on that day. She wants to be the most beautiful on that day. So those things bring attention and they bring glory to the maid or the bride. The rest of the verse says this, Yet my people have forgotten me days without end. And what is he saying? He's saying that as ornaments bring attention and they bring glory to a maid, and as on a wedding day the attire of a bride sets her apart from everybody else, that God sets the Jews apart and makes them a glory. In the eyes of the world. I mean, think about that. America didn't walk through the Red Sea on dry ground without weapons and see an Egyptian army close over it. America hasn't wandered around saying, God, there's no water in this country, and God brought water from a rock or manna from the sky or guided us by a pillar of fire by night or a cloud by day. We don't have those things. We don't have a temple where the glory of God rested and, the, and it was filled with smoke so that no one could be in it during that time. We don't have those kind of things like Israel has. We don't have a book that's inspired by God written about us. No, the people of Israel were a very special people because they were God's people. And he said, they have forgotten me. He is writing, he is preaching about the very time that we're reading in 2 Kings. That the book was forgotten. They don't even know who I am. And Jeremiah is saying, look, this is a shame. Would a, would a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? That would be ridiculous. Yet my people have forgotten me. So let's look at the book found. We looked at the book forgotten. Let's look at the book found. Back to 2 Kings chapter 22. Verse 8 it says, Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law. Now if you go to verse number 10, Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, as the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Azahiah servant of, of the king saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book. He says, look, now that I know what's in it and now that I know that we have obeyed or we have disobeyed God and our fathers have disobeyed God, what do we do? What do we do about this? Now, I want to look at 2 Chronicles 34, and that's the parallel passage, okay? Now, I'm going to read some verses, and you see if you can pick out what's different. Talking about Josiah, verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 34. 
For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and from the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So let's go back. Remember, he sent them to repair the temple. Does anybody remember what year of his reign that was? 18th year of his reign. We're talking in 2 Chronicles about the 8th year of his reign. He's only 16 years old. And what does it say about him? That he began to seek after the God of David his father. So here's what that teaches us. And you see this all throughout Scripture. That when you seek the Lord, you will find him. He began to seek the Lord and what happened? God made sure that eventually he was going to find that book. You will, look, when you seek the Lord, this is another part of that, it's going to drive you to his word. It will send you to God's word because you cannot find God outside of his word. The word is going to help you to determine, oh, there are people today and many religions are this way and many many diversions from Christianity are this way and they'll say, well, we're Christian. Yeah, and, but some of the weird things that happen out there are because people take their experience and they magnify it above the Word of God. And we can't do that. We will be in error when we say, yeah, but this is what happened to me. But if it's against the Word of God, it may not have been of God what happened to you. I'm not going to disagree that something happened, but if it's outside of what God said, then it may be something the devil's trying to put in your life to distract you. Because remember, he appears as an angel of light. He wants to deceive. He is the father of lies. He's been deceiving from the beginning. We must take the word of God and filter all of our lives through it. How did they get to where they were? They were living outside the word of God. But Josiah began to seek the Lord. I went on a missions trip two years ago, I think it was. Maybe three, because I can't. the COVID thing is really throwing my whole calendar off. Okay, I don't, I don't even know what happened in that. I don't even know how long it's been to be honest with you. I really don't. But it's two or three years ago. Went to South America. And uh, way down, we were further south than Africa even goes. So we were down there in the, in the tail of South America. And we were trying to find villages. And we did. Found some villages that didn't have a church. There's no missionary. There's no gospel. And that was the whole point. So we passed out tracts. We invited people to services. And, and really nobody showed up. And one of the services that we had... We were staying in a cabin behind this lady's, I call it a house, but she had all these rooms that she rented out. She fixed food for people. It's a hostel. And so we were eating a meal and she said, look, I'm not going to be able to come to the, the meeting tonight. She said, but I really want to. I've got to work here so I can't go. And that was nice of her. Um, and we thought maybe it's just because we're staying with her and she's trying to be nice to us. And so we said, okay. And she said, but... I want you to come afterwards and I want you to talk to me and I want you to tell me what you're going to say at the service. Okay. So we came and we told her and we told her the gospel. We shared with her. We tried to answer any questions she had. We asked her, we said, would you like to make a decision? She said, I want to pray about it. I want to think about it. Well, she didn't say pray, but she said, I want to think about it. She said, come and talk to me tomorrow night. So the next night we came and we sat down with her. I had an interpreter. We talked to her. And answered some questions that she had, and finally she said, I want to do that. I want to be saved. And so we prayed, and, and she accepted the Lord as her Savior. After she was done praying, she tears coming down her eyes, she said, she said, it's been the desire my whole life, the desire of my heart to know who Jesus is. 
She said, you've helped fulfill a desire in my life. You know what that told me? That God sent us there because there was a lady named Angelica who had been seeking the Lord. When you seek the Lord, He will be found of you. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah tells them, when you seek me, you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. Again, the other thing that teaches us is this. A desire for God will drive you to His Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But can I say the opposite of that is true as well? If you're not in God's Word, it probably means you don't have a desire for God. Or it's not as strong as maybe we think it is. If you have a desire for God, you'll need to get into God's Word. And then you'll, be, you'll find Him. So Josiah found the book. What happened when he found the book? He began to follow the book. He sent them out. He said, find someone. They found a prophetess. And she begins to tell them, hey, look, there is judgment coming. That's what you read, and that's what's going to happen. Judgment is coming. Hezekiah was told judgment was coming, okay? That's one of the things that he said, as long as it's not in my day. She said, but because you, Josiah, have humbled yourself before God, it will not come in your lifetime. Because you have humbled yourself, judgment is passed from you. Another principle. That when you humble yourself before God, judgment is passed before you. He is searching for the contrite. He is searching for the humble person. So the book was followed when it was communicated. They began to read it. First, first Shaphan read it. Second, they read it to the king. And then the king explains it to the people in the beginning of chapter 23. He explains it to the people. And he says, look, here's what's going to happen. Since we know what this book says, we're going to start to follow and obey it. When the Word of God is communicated, it always brings conviction because the Holy Spirit comes with that. It's not understand by human minds. Paul tells us in Corinthians that it is interpreted, it's understood by the Spirit of God. And I believe this, because it is a living book, that every time you hear the Word of God, or every time you read the Word of God, God has something in it for you. It's a book that's alive. You say, well, it's only one verse. God's got something for you. It's something special. And you need to say, God, what is it that you'd have for me? Oh, it may not be earth-shattering. It may be just, just turning the dial a little bit and God pointing you a little bit closer to Him. But we need to take those moments and capitalize on them and say, Lord, I don't, I don't want to let them go. It's a living book that God communicates it to us through His Holy Spirit. It brought conviction. It also brought cleansing. If you read chapter 23, I'm just going to hit some highlights here, okay? So, the king commanded, verse 4 of chapter 23, the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal. And then we go further in that verse. It says, and he burned them. Verse 5, and he put down the idolatrous priests. Verse 7, and he broke down the houses of the Sodomites. Verse 10, and he defiled Tophet, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter to pass through the fire of Molech. So they would kill the babies. And verse 14, and he broke in pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their, their places with bones of men. Then verse 21, and the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover. This was a special Feast of remembrance of how God brought them out of Egypt. But it's also 
in the future, looking towards Christ, how that the Lamb of God would be slain. And because of that, when the blood is applied to life, God passes over. God passes over the judgment because it's been placed on Christ. And it says to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of this covenant, surely there was not holden such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor in the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was holden to the Lord in Jerusalem. So there never been and never would be after a Passover kept as well as the one that they kept. It was a great celebration. It was a great reflection on God. Why? Because when the word of God was communicated and it brought conviction and it brought cleansing, it brought commitment. And the word of God brings commitment to our lives. And it brings commitment in both directions. I've seen youth groups where the youth pastor preached clearly the Word of God. And it was well known because you had kids that were committing their lives to service for God and going into the ministry. But at the same time, people had a big question mark about that youth group because there were other kids that went as far as these kids did to the right. There were kids that went to the wrong and lived wicked lives. And still some to this day. And you say, how could the, how has that worked that the Word of God is being preached and yet you have that? Because when right and wrong is preached, you have to make a decision. Am I going to obey it or am I going to reject it? There is no middle ground. And I've seen people that I went to Bible college with and the lives that they live today are sinfully wicked. But you know what they say? They say, I don't believe that book anymore. Well, you have to. You have to say that because you can't live a sinful lifestyle and admit that this book is true. I mean, a little statement that maybe we've heard before, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. It's true. You cannot dedicate your life to following this book and live in sin. So Josiah communicated it. It brought change because there was commitment. One of the things he did was he stood by, the, by a pillar and he said, look, because of what's written in this book, I'm going to live my life based upon this book. And he said, how many of you will stand with me about this book? He gave an invitation. He gave a public announcement. Look, we need to commit to this book. And it brought change amongst all kinds of people. And he was a young man. Now, there's some applications that we can make from this. And one of those is this. Whether this world likes it or not, whether our country likes it or not, whether we like it or not, God places the responsibility of leadership at the feet of men. The world doesn't like that. But God places the responsibility of leadership at the feet of men. If you're a man in this room, God has placed the responsibility of spiritual leadership at your feet. It is your responsibility to lead your family. It is your responsibility to be a, a leader in the things of God's Word in this church. It's not just one man's job. He is the pastor. God has placed him as an under-shepherd over this place. But at the same time, spiritual leadership should be taken up by every man. When you don't, there are consequences. The next generation won't know the Word of God or they won't obey the Word of God. Why should they? Why should they? They've been left to their own. I met a man in Georgia. Loved his testimony. I stayed at his house one night. And I asked him how he got saved. And he said, well, he said, I lived in Michigan. And he said, 
Uh, I was out one Saturday with my family, and they only have one daughter. He said, we were doing some yard work. And he said, I, I, did not, I did not know God. He said, I didn't have anything to do with God. I lived a wicked life. And he listed some of the things that he was involved with. And he said, but we were out in the yard doing yard work, and some, some two men from a church were trying to get people to get on their bus route for their church. And so they came by my yard, and they started talking to my wife and daughter, and they wanted to go to church. And so these, these two men came to me, and they said, hey, would it be all right if tomorrow we come by and pick up your wife and daughter for church? And he said, no way. He said, there's no man is going to take my wife and daughter to church but me. He didn't like that idea, but he kind of committed himself. So he's like, all right. So he said, uh, the next day, he said, I got my wife and daughter in the car and I took them to church. He said, that morning at that church service, he said, it was like somebody told that pastor everything about me. He said, just preached, preached up one side and down the other. He said, I knew exactly what I needed to do. He said, I knew I needed to be saved, but he said, I didn't go forward. He gave the invitation to come forward to be saved, and he said, I, I, didn't, I didn't go. He said, on the way home, he said, I knew what I needed to do, and he said, I knew that I was going to go to church that night. He said, I threw my cigarettes out the window. He said, I know that's littering, but I wasn't going to smoke them again. He said, I never did. He said, it used, to be a, it used to be that my daughter, when I'd ask her to bring me a beer, she'd go bring me a beer. He said, but I went to church that night. He said, same church. Preacher was preaching. He said, I don't even know what he preached about. He said it did not matter because I knew what God was, was doing in my heart. He said he gave the invitation. He said as soon as he gave the invitation, I walked down the aisle and I met him in front of the pulpit. I shook his hand and he said, the pastor asked me, why did you come forward? He said, well, why do you think I came forward? <laughs> he, said, he said, come forward if you want to be saved. He said, I need to be saved. So he handed him to a man and they went to a room and he said that man began to tell me how I could be saved. And one of the things he said was, you need to confess your sins to God. And he said, I fell to my knees. And he said, I started to cry. And he, he said, why are you crying? And he said, he said, I told him, he said, I can't be saved. He said, well, why can't you be saved? And the man said, I can't tell God everything I've done. I don't remember it all. You know, there's a guy that got it. He understood how heavy his sin was. He understood how extensive his sin was. He said, the guy told me, he said, look, just tell God what you know and God will forgive you of the things you don't remember because that's how good and gracious God is. He said, so I prayed right there and got saved. He said, I never drank again, never smoked again. Not a perfect man. Raised his daughter. He said, now, he said, after that point, he said, my daughter didn't bring me a beer. She brought me a Bible. He said, and I read my Bible. She went off to be a missionary in, in Europe. Now she's back home taking care of them because he's so uh, aged and he's got some major health problems. But you know what? I saw him recently. I was preaching at his church. COVID or not COVID, he walks in with an oxygen tank. He said, this is where I'm going to be. He said, this is where I need to be. How does that happen? The Word of God was communicated. The Word of God brought change because somebody committed their lives to it. Now, I don't know about your life, but I know how it is. Often other things can get in our life and crowd out things like the Word of God. Don't let it be forgotten. Don't let the Word of God be something that you bring to church and you put on a shelf when you go home and you pick it up the next time you come to church. It needs to be something that we're committed to on a daily basis. We say, look, as Job said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth 
more than my necessary food. As Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I need to see this as more important than food. That I'm going to be in the Word of God. Look, it doesn't have to be an hour, but it can be some time that you spend in the Word of God in prayer, and that puts the priority on God's Word. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, and I don't know where you are spiritually, I don't know your condition, but first of all, I want to just bring this opportunity before you. As that man in Georgia had heard the Word of God and knew what he needed, that he needed to be saved. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I know, that's what I need. I need to be saved. You'd say, Preacher, would you please pray for me because I need that. I need to be saved. Anywhere in the auditorium, you'd raise your hand in testimony to me that you know that you need to be saved and you just want me to raise, you want to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Anywhere in the auditorium, I know, Preacher, that I need to be saved. Would you please pray for me? All right, Christian, how about you? One way to make a commitment to being having a priority in God's Word is to commit to God that you're going to be in it five out of the next seven days. You can commit to that. Five out of the next seven days. Hey, if you're seven out of seven, good for you. But you can say, I can make that commitment that I will be in the Word of God five out of the next seven days. How many of you would say, that's a commitment that I can make to God tonight? I see several hands. Yes, praise the Lord. I can make that commitment. And maybe you'd go even further. But that's between you and the Lord. Maybe you've made that commitment before. Good. Go further. Say, I can read a little bit more. I can memorize a little bit more. I can spend more time in God's Word. But you would make that commitment. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you please stand to your feet as the hymn of invitation begins to play.